We are just here to worship you in spirit and in truth. So God, just penetrate our hearts. God, change us forever through your word. God, may you inhabit our praises. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody please stand. people that are gathered here uh, to worship you. God, thank you so much for Easter. Uh, God, this thing that we call Easter is actually Resurrection Day, and we're here to celebrate the resurrection, and we're here to celebrate 
the King of Kings and what he did on the cross for us. So, Lord, I just pray right now, uh, God, that you dwell amongst us. God, that you overwhelm us with your word. God, and that uh, you are glorified now as we begin to dig into your word and see what you have to say to us on this Easter morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Wow, this is a really good crowd for an 830 service. Uh, I'm excited to see all of you here. I told somebody just a minute ago that I'd probably wake up about halfway through the second service. Um, that's when I would realize, oh, I've got a message to preach. Um, hopefully that won't be the case, but admittedly you guys kind of are the intro folks. I get to, to practice on you for a little bit, practice waking up and getting ready to preach God's word in the second service. And it will be, there will be a lot of people here, admittedly. There will be quite a few folks here. Uh, we've got more chairs set out than we normally have set out, and there will be a lot of people here. And I can imagine the excitement level will probably be way on up there. But let me encourage you right now that as we begin to study God's Word, uh, that, that you don't zone out on me, that, that you stay focused, because what we're talking about this morning is the penalty that was paid for each and every one of us, the penalty that was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross, which is what everybody talks about on Easter morning, right? Whether it's a drama that's portrayed or whether it's, it's a pastor teaching and preaching God's word, uh, typically everybody this morning is going to be talking about the cross and they're going to be talking about the resurrection or they're going to be talking about one of the two. This morning we're going to be talking about both of those. We've been in a study through Matthew and, and the study that we've been talking about, we've labeled this study, who do you say that I am? And the reason we call it that is because in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, it says that Jesus was going into a region of uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do they say the Son of Man is? And his disciples replied, they said, well, some say that you are John the Baptist, and some say that you're Isaiah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And that's, that's the message that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. And, and we're going to kind of talk about it as it relates to the cross this morning early. And then we'll talk about it as it relates to the, uh, the resurrection a little bit later on at our 1030 service. When you ask yourself, who do you say that I am? When Jesus asks you that question, you have to really internalize that question and really ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Because if he's just somebody that's a good teacher, if he's just somebody that, that had a lot of good things to say, then you've missed the whole point. If he's just somebody that, that, that lived a long time ago, that claimed to be God's son and didn't really do anything for me, then you're going to miss everything. You, you miss Easter completely, as a matter of fact. We call it Easter uh, but really, it's, it's Resurrection Sunday, and that is what it's all about. Uh, if you go back and study the, the history of Easter and, and where it comes from, it, there's actually an Anglo-Saxon uh, goddess, and, and she, she took care of a, of a bird that, that, couldn't, uh, that, was, that was trapped during the wintertime, and through her magical power, she turned it into a bunny that could lay eggs. Uh, that's where we get the term Easter from. Uh, Am I saying that there's anything wrong with dyeing your eggs or hiding your Easter eggs or any of that kind of stuff? No. So long as Jesus Christ is the center of your Easter, it doesn't matter what other stuff you may do. As long as you're not worshiping any Anglo-Saxon goddesses, 
As long as Jesus Christ is the center of your life and he has prominence in your life, then that is the most important thing. We dye Easter eggs in our family. We, uh, we have a good time doing that. We hunt Easter eggs. We put candy in them. We put dollar bills in them. We do all of that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that stuff so long as Jesus Christ is the center of your Easter. And as you ask yourself the question, who is Jesus Christ to me? My prayer is that you answer in the same way that Peter answered the question when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And when we do baptisms, we're going to do a baptism this morning, as a matter of fact, later on in our our later service. One of the things that I ask at the very beginning of that baptism about people's public profession of who Jesus Christ is, I say, is it your belief, is it your testimony, your public testimony that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? And as you answer in the affirmative, you're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. He is the one that paid the price for your sins, past, present, and future, which is also something we say during baptism. One of the things that that we're going to talk about this morning, as we look at this this, uh, penalty that was paid for each and every one of us, as we look at this, this price that was paid for your sins and for my sins, past, present, and future, we're going to look at, at... What happened to Jesus right before he went to the cross? The people that interacted with Jesus and and who was Jesus to them? See, in my opinion, if you look at all the people that are involved in in the, the, the crucifixion story and the resurrection story, they all have a different perspective. They all have a a different way of their interaction with Jesus, just like you and I all have a different way of our interaction with Jesus. Everybody in this world has a different perspective on their interaction with Jesus and who he is in their life. And this is what I would say to you, that there's three possible choices in your relationship with with Jesus or your lack thereof. And that is that that there is one that is, you're kind of indifferent to who Jesus is. It doesn't really matter who he is. Yeah, I hope that this doesn't apply to anybody inside this room because you're here on Easter Sunday, but there are a lot of people that, that aren't here and they aren't in church today and maybe they're fishing or maybe they're at the beach or whatever and, and Jesus really doesn't matter to them. They're indifferent to who Jesus is. It doesn't penetrate their hearts. It doesn't rock their world. When you talk about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for them, it, they're just kind of indifferent to it. And then there are some people that are the second way, and that is that they're uh, threatened by Jesus. They're threatened by Jesus because of the things that he taught and the things that he said. It infringed upon their life, and it, it forced them to really examine themselves, and it forced them to really look at themselves, and people don't really like to do that. You know what happens when you start to examine yourself in light of God's word or in, in light of who Jesus Christ was? You're forced to recognize who you are in in your sinful condition, in your life and the way that you live and the things that you desire and the things that are in your heart. You're forced to examine those things. And people don't really like to do that so much. I I know that in general, I don't like to admit that I'm wrong, right? Uh, My wife can attest to that. I don't ever like to admit that I'm wrong. The good news is she's never wrong, so we don't have to worry about that. She doesn't have to worry about dealing with that, but uh, we don't... We, as people, we don't like to admit that we're wrong. And when we examine ourselves, when we look at ourselves in light of Scripture, we, we see that not only is there something wrong with me, it turns out that everything is wrong with me. The problem is not 
that, that sometimes I sin. The problem is everything that I do is sin. Everything that I do in this flesh is like a rebellion against God. Everything that is inside of me and pushes me is like something pushing me the wrong way. And there's this tug of war between the Holy Spirit that lives within me and what my flesh desires and the things of this world that pull me in another direction. And as we examine ourselves, we, we see that and we sometimes feel threatened by that. Some people so much so that they resist God and they rebel against God and they blaspheme God and they say, no, uh, no, I will not humble myself before the cross. No, I will not surrender my heart and life to Jesus Christ. Just no to Jesus and they're in direct opposition of God. So either they're folks in this world are either, just like in Jesus' time, they're either indifferent to Jesus, they're threatened by him, or the third alternative, which is he is king. He is not just king, he's the king of kings. There is no king above him. He rules and reigns and he has victory in your life. He has victory in all the things uh, over your life, all the, the things that, that, that you desire. You're like, God, I want it to please you. God, I, I may have desires that pull me towards the things of the world, but you reign, you rule in my life. And because of that, I will follow you and not follow my flesh. And I will allow you to be God in my life. And I will be me in my humble place before your throne saying, God, I need you in every single step, every single step that I take in this life. I need you to lead, guide, and direct me. See, all of the gospel writers, they all wrote from a different perspective. Uh, Matthew wants to portray him as king. Uh, Matthew writes from the perspective of Jesus as king. And you see that over and over again. If you read Matthew's gospel, you see how Matthew is trying to show you that Jesus is king. And as we study God's word and we continue to look in Matthew today, we'll see how, how Matthew is saying he is king. No matter how many people think they have control over Jesus, no matter how many people think that they, they, they can do something about Jesus, he is truly king and he's in control the whole time. As we look in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 26, we see the plot to kill Jesus. I have to set things up for you a little bit and say that um, Jesus has been turned over now to the Roman government. Uh, what has happened is, is that Judas has, has told them where they can find Jesus, that he would be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And sure enough, he was there. Jesus, uh, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss and says, this is the guy you're looking for because they didn't really know who Jesus was. They wanted to make sure they got the right guy. And Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. He says, the one that I kiss, that will be Jesus. And that's the one that you need to arrest. And what we see here is that Jesus has just now come through this three-phase trial process by, the, by the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, which is uh, the governing body of the Jewish religion. Uh, he has just come through this three-phase trial process, and they have convicted him of blasphemy. Now, blasphemy is just this. It, it, is, it is against God is basically what it is. Blasphemy is in is in contradiction to what God's word says. It's, it's in contradiction to who God is. It's just in contradiction to God in general. And what, what they said that he has said is that he is the son of God. Uh, they said that this is blasphemy, that you can't proclaim to be that. And they hated him because of it. The Pharisees 
were threatened by Jesus because he turned the, the, he turned the tables over, them in, over on them in so many ways. He said, all the things that you've been doing, they're all wrong because you've been looking at the outside. You've been looking at the way that things seem and the whole time you're like a whitewashed tomb. You're, you're empty. You're dead on the inside. And the Pharisees didn't like Jesus saying that. He, was, he threatened their way of life. He threatened their livelihood and the way that they would be able to continue on. He, he was a threat to the Pharisees. They didn't like that too much. So they went through this three-phase trial before the Sanhedrin, and they said, he is guilty of blasphemy. And they did this during the middle of the night so that it wouldn't raise a ruckus, so that nobody would really know about it. And in Matthew chapter 26, we'll look at um, verses 1 through 5. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he says uh, to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus was telling everybody what was going to happen. Jesus was telling, exact, telling the disciples exactly what prophecy had said, that, that this, this man, this Messiah, would be crucified. And he said, you know the Passover is in two days, and what's going to happen then is that I'm going to be crucified. Now, the reason this is significant is because they could, the Sanhedrin could have just taken it upon themselves and, and convicted Jesus of blasphemy and did what they did to Stephen and just taken him outside and stoned him. They could have taken it into their own hands. But, but Scripture says that the Messiah will be crucified, so he has to die a Roman death. Okay, And a Roman death in this day and time would be crucifixion. Anybody that caused a ruckus, caused an uprising, would be crucified, hung on a cross. And Jesus had to fulfill prophecy, so what he had to do is he had to undergo a Roman punishment that he couldn't be taken in front of the Sanhedrin and them just go nuts and just stone him to death. He had to be crucified. And Jesus is telling them this, what's going to happen in two days, the Son of Man, which he's referring to himself, the Son of Man will be crucified. He'll be crucified. And as we go on to look in, in Matthew Chapter 27, we see what's happened after Jesus has gone through this trial in front of the Sanhedrin and they've convicted him of blasphemy. They figured out that the next thing they need to do is they need to take him in front of the Roman government because technically speaking, they weren't supposed to inflict punishment themselves. They weren't supposed to take somebody's life themselves. That it was the authorities, the Roman governors that were supposed to do that. They were supposed to be the one that had the authority to take somebody's life. And here we see Jesus before this guy named Pilate, who was a Roman governor. In Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 11, it says this. Now Jesus was standing there before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against Jesus, against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom that each year during the Passover celebration to release a prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one, of you, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, uh, who is called the Messiah? 
He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. So here is what we see. We see the, the, the Pharisees have, have been threatened by Jesus and the things that he teaches and the ways that he is and, and all the things that he's done uh, to raise people's awareness to what a relationship with God really looks like and the fact that they needed to uh, reach out to other people. They needed to weep and mourn over their sin. They needed to not worry so much about the outside, but they needed to, to worry about the inside and what was going on in their heart. And they are infuriated by the things that Jesus is teaching and they're, they're threatened by Jesus. And then you see Pilate come onto the scene and he's kind of indifferent. He, he would be the people in the world that kind of say, well, we don't really care about this whole Easter thing. Uh, hunting Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies is more important than anything to do about Jesus. And so he's kind of indifferent. The only reason that Pilate necessarily cares it's because he wants to keep things calm in the place. Uh, everybody's kind of, it's a, it's a heated situation there in town. The Passover's happening, and, and, and all these Jewish people, they're, they're, they're raising a ruckus about this, this Jesus guy. And Pilate, really, the only reason he feels threatened by Jesus is because he's causing a problem for everybody else. He's, he's, he's making a big deal out of everything, and everybody, he's inciting the crowds, and there's a lot of people that love Jesus. So Pilate, not only does he, does he feel threatened because he's raising a ruckus, but he also kind of feels indifferent because he didn't care who Jesus is. And he, he looks at Jesus and, and, and he's looking at him and says, well, what has this man done? What has he done that's so bad? And there's really nothing to accuse him. As a matter of fact, they, the, the, when, they, they asked, when he asked the, the, the Jewish people, what has he done? They, they kind of remained silent, and they kind of make up something. They said, well, you know what he's done? He, he said that, that, that he's aroused the people and said, well, y'all, y'all, y'all not supposed to pay taxes. You're not supposed to bow down to the Romans. You're not supposed to do all of this stuff that the Romans say. He's trying to form an insurrection against the Roman authorities, and and that's where he's going to cause a problem for you. And they actually make up something about Jesus that's not true. Because anybody that followed Jesus would know that Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Pay your taxes. Don't worship Caesar, but go pay, pay your taxes to him. And, and Jesus, as a matter of fact, we talked about a Roman centurion, that Jesus healed the Roman centurion's servant. He didn't say that there was anything wrong necessarily with Rome. It wasn't his biggest problem. You see, the people thought that, that Rome was their biggest problem. They thought the oppression and the fact that somebody ruled over them, they had governmental authority over them, that was their biggest problem. And Jesus came in and said, they're not your biggest problem. They're not the thing that you need to feel worried about. They're not your biggest threat. You see, your biggest threat is your own indifference to your own sin and the fact that you think it doesn't really matter what it looks like on the inside. You can't remain indifferent. You can't remain just complacent to who Jesus is and what he says. Not when you sit there late at night and you examine your own heart or when it's Easter morning and you get up early and you're putting on your clothes and you start thinking about who Jesus is to you. You start thinking about what he's done for you. You start thinking about the things that Jesus endured for you. It is almost impossible to remain indifferent and even the people that, that, that feel threatened by him, the fact that he's going to turn over stuff in their life. See, the reason some people feel so threatened by him is because 
They don't want their lifestyle upset. They don't want to go back and have to redo things. They don't want to, they're, they're worried that if I surrender my heart and life to Jesus and there's some things that are going to be, uh, they're going to be turned over in my life, that the table's going to be turned over in my life. And the reality is, is that yes, it's very likely that that will happen, especially if there's a lot of things in your life that don't please God. But the problem is we think that that's painful and we, we feel threatened by that. Instead of embracing it, and what happens is when you truly do embrace it and humble yourself before the cross, what happens is that you feel an overwhelming sense of joy, and you think, man, how in the world did I let those things have, have control in my life? How in the world did I let those things have a, a, a place of prominence in my life? And there were people in the crowd when, when Pilate goes before, um, before these people the Jewish people and the Pharisees, and he's trying to figure out. He knows, it says in there that he knows that, that the Pharisees have brought Jesus out there in front of them because of envy. Now, Jesus had, had, been, uh, had been put on trial and made guilty because of the Pharisees' envy. So he wants to see where the people stand. He wants to see where the people are and how they feel about Jesus, not just the Pharisees. He's tired of listening to them now. He wants to listen to the people and what do they say? Now, the people here on Palm Sunday, just a few days prior, had been crying out for Jesus, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And my dad reminded me this morning of what Hosanna really means, and it means save us now. That's what it means. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they were laying down palm branches in front of him as he went in. And they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were waving palm branches and laying out palm branches saying, save us, save us, save us. It was like this big celebration for a king who was about to receive his crown. And the people were celebrating Jesus. You know why they were celebrating Jesus? Because they wanted him to save them from the Roman rule. They wanted him to, to, be, to let them be set free, to, to crush the Romans so that they can go and, and just be themselves again. The people are fickle. People, uh, they'll love you one day and then they'll hate you the next. And Jesus saw this very thing. They're celebrating Jesus and saying, Hosanna, and they were celebrating him as king. And then we see what happens when he's brought in front of the people once again by Pilate. And Barabbas, who is a murderer, who rightfully deserves a cross, he comes out there as well and he asks them, he says, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas, a murderer, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? It says in verse 19, it says, just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, leave the innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two men do you want me to release to you? So let me give you a couple of different perspectives here. Pilate, who's indifferent and yet threatened because People are in the middle of an uprising because of Jesus. And then Pilate's wife comes onto the scene and tells him that you're not supposed to do anything to this man. I suffered a terrible nightmare last night and I, I could see that, 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 that 
There was something about this man that was different, and you really shouldn't follow through with this. You, you, there are some people that, that although they may, they may see what Jesus is and who he is and the fact that he is the son of God, they, they, will, they will speak with their mouth and say, man, there's something different and there's something that needs to be noticed about this guy, but they, them, them themselves, there's no indication for them that they recognize that he's the Messiah, that he's, he's the one that, that deserves to be worshiped, that he is indeed the king. And these people... These people are given the option of, do we want Barabbas released to us or do we want Jesus released to us? Do we want a murderer or do we want this guy who heals and lets lame people able to see, uh, walk and, and blind people able to see? Which one do we want released to us? And it says this, just then as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent the message, Leave the innocent man alone. I suffered a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked, which of these two men do you want released to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? What should we do with Jesus? What should we do with Jesus? You in your life, you have to answer that question. People that are indifferent to Jesus have to answer that question. People try to ignore Jesus, and they may seem indifferent, but they have to ask the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? Because he's real. Because he's powerful. He's obviously from God. And, and there's, there's so many people that, that try to dismiss it, and they try to remain indifferent, but they have to ask them, themselves the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? And the people cry out, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mom roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd said, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take the responsibility for his death. Listen to what they say. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So here we see these people who, just a few days earlier, Jesus was king. Here we see these people who, who just a few days earlier were, were crying out to him, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And they were worshiping him as king. And how quickly they changed. Now at, at the urging of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they, they said that he's guilty of blasphemy. How easily these people are changed and all of a sudden they feel threatened by Jesus. So much so that they feel threatened by Jesus more than they feel threatened by the murderer that they want to release back into the, the, the Jewish population. They say, crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus, the whole time, standing there, an innocent man, an innocent man for, for the things that he never did. All he did was tell the truth. I, I've thought about this before. You know, Jesus, there's no way he could sin. Because he was fully God and fully man, uh, he could never sin because he was fully God. So what was the only way that, that he could be crucified? What, what was the only, only 
thing that he could be guilty of that would cause him to be crucified. And that would be for him to tell the truth and not sin, and yet everybody else not to perceive it as the truth and them thinking that it was sin. You ever thought about that? That Jesus never could have really done anything to be worthy of the cross. It just, he had to just tell the truth, and other people would have to think that it's worthy of the cross. And here you've got these people, they're crying out, Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Because now they feel threatened by him. Now they feel threatened by him. So no longer is he king in their minds and in their hearts. They feel threatened by Jesus, so they say, let's get rid of this guy. Let's get rid of this guy. And you're like, well, Kenny, this is... We, we kind of know this a little bit. We kind of know uh, this story. We kind of know uh, that Jesus is headed to the cross. Uh, we we kind of know uh, the, the price that was paid for us and the fact that he had a crown of thorns placed on his head and he was beaten. And I mean, the, the flesh just ripped off his back and he was, he, his beard plucked from his face and he was beaten and, and tortured so bad that that you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. You couldn't even tell who he was. All you could see was a shell of a man standing there going up to be crucified. And one thing that, that you probably won't hear preached in, in a lot of messages today around this county or, or around this state or maybe in the United States is this. Is that every one of us, we're just as guilty we're just as nasty as, as Pilate, who was indifferent to Jesus. We're just as guilty and as nasty as, as the Roman soldiers that tore the flesh off his back. We're just as guilty and just as nasty as the, the population of Jewish people that had one day said, Save us, Hosanna, and lay palm branches down in front of him. We're just as guilty as those people who yelled out, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We're just as guilty as Herod who, who came in in the middle of it and, and he said he felt threatened by Jesus too because uh, he was supposed to be the king of the Jews. And here is this guy that comes in and proclaims to be king of the Jews and Herod feels threatened by him too. And he turns him back over to Pilate who Pilate is the one that ultimately decides, hey, you know what? I'm washing my hands of Jesus. His blood is on your hands now. You can't really do that. You can't really just say, it's not on me, it's on you. We all have to deal with Jesus and who he is, and we all have to, to deal with who we are. We're all just as guilty as Herod, as Pilate, as the people that were crying out, crucify him. We're just as guilty as Barabbas, who was a murderer. We're all just as guilty. And we look at these people and their stories, and we look at these people and how they acted in the Bible, and we look and we say, Oh, look at those wretched people and what they were doing to Jesus. Look at those people and, and how they were treating Jesus. You know what the amazing thing is? The amazing thing about this story is that Jesus died for those people. He died for Herod. He died for the Pharisees. He died uh, for the people that were crying, crucify him. He died for people like Judas who kiss him on the cheek and say, this is the man that you need to kill. That's the kind of Jesus we serve. 
That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God that wants a relationship with us. That's the kind of God who pours out his mercy and grace on people that don't deserve it, just like you and me. You probably won't hear a lot of people say that Jesus died for Herod and Jesus died for Pilate and Jesus died for the Pharisees who convicted him unjustly. But the reality is, that's exactly the kind of person Jesus died for. Just like you in your life and all the nasty and wretched things you feel like, man, there's no way God could love me. There's no way that God could look at me and where I am and look at my heart and see the things that I see and still love me and still want to die for me. And I would say that is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is an amazing grace that doesn't meet your, uh, in, in your own mind, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't count up, it doesn't add up. You can't comprehend it all. See, because for me, in my own selfish mind, somebody that had put me on a cross, somebody that had stripped me naked and put a crown of thorns on my head and mocked me as being the king, I, I believe, I don't, I don't think I would like them very much. But Jesus, he looks out at them as, he sta- as he's hanging on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And some people, when they hear that, they say, I can't understand that. I can't understand the fact that he would do that. I can't understand the fact that he would allow himself to die for that kind of person. I can't think that he would allow himself to die for the kind of person that I know that I am. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. You know, Pilate, he thought that he was in control. Right? Pilate thought that he had Jesus' hand, his life in his hands. Right? Pilate thought that, you know what? Uh, I'm going to pass judgment on one of these two men, and one of them's going to die. Pilate thought that, you know what, I'm going to decide somebody's life today. Control is an illusion. Control is an illusion. He asked himself, what am I going to do with Jesus? And the real question was, what was Jesus going to do for all of humanity? What was Jesus going to do for every single person Uh, that was in the crowd that day? What was Jesus going to do for Herod and Pilate and and all of the people that had cried out to have him crucified and the Pharisees that encouraged them to do so? See, Pilate thought in his mind that he had Jesus' life in his hands. And the reality is Jesus was in control the whole time. The reality is is that Jesus had already told them that he was going to be crucified. The reality is, it says the Passover is coming in two days and the Son of Man is going to be crucified. See, Pilate didn't have any control whatsoever. It doesn't matter what what Pilate would have said that day. It doesn't matter if if Barabbas would have even been there. See, Jesus could have looked at, at Pilate and said, you say what you want to say, you do what you want to do, I'm going to the cross. There's a place that I'm supposed to be, and it's for everybody past, present, and future that believes in me and believes in the power of God. It is for those people that I am going to the cross. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up in two days, and he's going to be crucified. Pilate didn't have control. Let me tell you something. 
Okay, listen, if you've been zoned out this whole time, listen, listen to this very important message, okay? You will die, okay? I don't, I don't know if you've thought about that a whole lot, but you will die. There is coming a time, I said this on Wednesday night, there's coming a time for, for everybody in this room, probably within the next 80 years, you are going to be face to face with Jesus. Have you thought about that? For some of us, it's a little bit shorter time. For some of us, it may be that full 80 years. But there's coming a time when you're going to be face to face with Jesus. And you're going to be faced with this, this question, who do you say that I am? And you're going to be faced with the question of, is he, is he king in my life? Am I indifferent to Jesus or do I feel threatened by him? And what I said on Wednesday night is this, is that you won't be able to say a word. It is only your actions that will speak. It will be your life and how you lived your life and the things that, that, that you did and the things that, 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 that made up who you are. Those are the things that will be examined before the king. So when you're asked the question, who do you say that I am? What does your life say? What does your, your life represent? Is he truly king? Are you indifferent or are you threatened by him? That's the only three choices. Just like in that day, there were only three choices. It's incomprehensible that a king would die for his servants. But that's the kind of king Jesus was. He could have had legions of angels come down and rescue him off the cross. He could have been rescued from that situation. But he said, no, I've got to go to the cross because this is what my father has said has got to happen. This is the only way that those people, the people sitting in simple church in 2015 in an Easter service, it's the only way that they can be saved is if I go to the cross. And because of that, Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. And nothing's going to keep me from it. The, the, the people that day thought that they were, uh, they were the ones that when they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They thought that Pilate was doing it in response to them. No, Jesus was already decided he was going to the cross. He had already decided he was to be crucified. For exactly those people that would be yelling to crucify him. You're going to be confronted one day. You're going to be face to face with Jesus. And you're going to say, who do you say that I am? Who does your life say that I am to you? And at that day, you will stand before the king. And he said, I, I, I died for you. Did you remain indifferent? Did you feel threatened by that? Or did you embrace me as king? And that's the question you'll have to ask yourself. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for uh, this word, Lord, that tells us about Jesus, God, and how he suffered and how he died. God, a, a gruesome death that we, we can't even imagine with our own minds. Lord, I, there may be people in here, Lord, though they may be here on an Easter Sunday, God, the evidence of their life is that they remain indifferent to Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, for that person, for those people, God, that may be in rebellion against you. God, their refusal to submit to you. God, I pray that you forgive them for they know not what they do. God, help them to surrender their lives to you. Help them to bow down at your cross and acknowledge the king that you are. 
Lord, I, I know that admitting that we're wrong is not an easy thing to do. God, but that was the price that was paid for each and every one of us. God, that was the price that was paid for, for all of the people and all of humanity, past, present, and future, was, was the fact that they, God knew that we would have this selfish pride. God knew that we wouldn't want to admit that we were wrong, so he sent his one and only son to die for us. God, is the evidence of our life, Lord, is that really what our flesh is crying out for is for Jesus to be crucified. Help us to realize, Father, that, that we are the reason. God, the, the blood is on our hands. God, thank you so much, Lord, for sending Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, for what he did for us that day. God, I can't wait, Lord, for, uh, for the next message where we get to talk about what happened three days later. God, that is the reason that we have joy. That is the reason why we have a reason to rejoice today. God, it's because of a resurrected Savior. So, Lord, right now, Lord, I pray that you would just break us of our sin. God, you would draw us back to you. God, that this would be a time of reflection, that we can, we can see ourselves for who we really are. Lord, and we can see ourselves for the kind of person that Jesus died for. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.